So welcome. Today on the Four Star Podcast, we're going to review the markets and the and the really interesting election market that we're in right now. Talk a little bit about that. We'll go through the fundamentals of the economy and a lot of interesting things that we're seeing in the economy and changes that could be in the offing that we understand and those that we don't. Uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit about what's happening as we come out of the pandemic. Players making their moves, changes in the in the economy winners and losers and that's it no interviews today just the podcast and uh why don't we get started okay everybody welcome back to the four star podcast uh here we are today we'll do a full review of where we stand Uh, a lot of interesting things going on with the economy partly because of the presidential election, uh, the implications of coming out of COVID uh, and what's going on, and then unique things that we see in the world out there. Uh, I'm Brian Castle, your host and the CEO and CIO of Four Star Wealth Advisors. I'm here with, of course, as usual, Mr. Christopher Reardon. Good afternoon, everyone out there. Glad to be here and uh, glad to uh, talk a little little bit about the markets. And Chris is our four-star director of development, master of all things portfolio. Uh, sorry about your Indians, Cleveland Indians. Uh, he's also caretaker of the Golden Duval Puppy Hudson. Again, Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Brian. And I mentioned I'm the founder of Four Star, trustee of the National Foundation of the Boy Scouts, philanthropic advisor and advisor to CEOs and insiders, chief dad to Quinn and Evan, and husband to the amazing Tripti. Uh, if you are... Uh, interested in this podcast and you like it, please tell your friends, ask them to sign up, and also give us a ranking of five out of five. That would be very nice. So, Chris, let's talk about the markets, where we are today, what our positioning is, what's happened since our last uh, podcast. Yeah, so, um, you know, for for new new listeners, we like to talk about the um, asset allocation, what we're seeing there. Um, We've actually started to see a good amount of movement um, over the last week or pretty much since the last podcast, uh, domestic equity still is the number one spot, but it actually gained 17 points, uh, which is a pretty big move uh, since our last podcast. So it's now at 270 uh, tally points. And for reference, fixed income, which is in the number two position, uh, lost four points, so lost a little bit, and it's at 225. Uh, If we were to rewind a couple months ago, we were talking about domestic equities in the third position, trying to overtake fixed income and cash in the number one. And it's just take overtaking them and then some now. Just taking off. It's, it is. Uh, so cash is still remains in the third position now. Uh, it lost six from a week ago, uh, and it's at 192. Uh, currencies is in the fourth position. It lost eight from a week ago, and it's at 152 tally points. Mm-hmm. Commodities held firm in the fifth position at 126. No change from a week ago. And then the other winner uh, week over week was international equities at 117 plus five. So uh, I would really say that we've seen since the last podcast a heavy movement upwards from the more risk on asset classes. Mm-hmm. International uh, stocks. And in the, US, yeah. in the conservative asset classes moving down. Mm-hmm. And so now we're seeing the markets rally. Uh, today is kind of a flat day after a big down move in the, in the early based on some, some more COVID fears. But we're near highs on the Dow. Uh, we're uh, nearing um, the S&P is up positive for the year. The only thing that's really up big is tech stocks. Yeah, yeah. I think the NASDAQ, last I saw, was up like 30% compared to almost a flat S&P. It's, uh, it's yeah. pretty crazy, the difference there. 
Yeah, and the dividend stocks, the blue chips, are still down about 10% on the year. Uh, but we're still generally seeing positive movement. We're seeing it show up in that tally score count, like Chris had mentioned. Uh, and the Chinese stock market's been on a run, right? Yeah, I mean, the, so uh, earlier this week, the Chinese uh, stock market actually hit a record uh, high of $10 trillion. It came in actually $10.08 and this was... Uh, the market cap of all shares listed on the Shanghai Stock Exchange and the Shenzhen. Uh, this tops the previous, when I was even close there, the previous pinnacle was $10.05 trillion. Uh, and hit this in June of 2015 for reference. And uh, for those of you that don't remember, this was just before we really started to see a lot of volatility in the Chinese markets that came in in August of 2015. Uh, speculation even that we were going to see the Chinese market really collapse uh, obviously, it, it kind of held up. There was definitely some volatility in the short term. It held up and really kind of started moving moving upwards after that. But uh, it's been really interesting. They, they definitely have, we talk a lot about the U.S. markets here, and I think the Chinese market tends to get left by the wayside a little bit. Um, so it's really inter interesting to see that they hit that record now. Um, and I would say on the flip side of this as well, uh, the Chinese yuan, which is obviously the currency, uh, has really been on a tear since about June of this summer. So uh, we've seen the yuan strengthening. Uh, obviously, we've talked on this podcast about the, the weakening dollar. Uh, so it's kind of a contrast to the U.S. currency, currency which has been weakening really since midsummer. Uh, we've seen the, the Chinese currency strengthening. And usually this is kind of against what is seen as the uh, Chinese policy. And they get kind of um, scolded, I guess you could say, at it for a lot as trying to um, devalue their currency to help with their economy and exports. So the fact that they're letting it strengthen uh, could show whether it's a, a political play there. Um, who knows? Uh, but the fact they're letting it strengthen, they're trying to attract investors in most likely. Uh, they're trying to um, get people to come into the Chinese market. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But definitely in the short term, uh, we've seen really almost a, a flip the script kind of, not mm -hmm. a strengthening dollar, weakening dollar mm -hmm. and a strength strengthening yuan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting. And, you know, we, we checked the currency over the last number of years. We're going to talk a little bit about currencies later. And uh, the fact that the Chinese uh, currency you know, is uh, now strong, uh, they, may, they may need to be that way. Trump hammered them on tariffs and the currency was weak for a long time. So now they're trying to rebuild without as much American involvement. And so far, it looks like it's working a little bit. Yeah. On part. So. Yeah. I mean, everything coming out of China, you always got to take with a grain of salt. Um, and we, I Do we believe any number coming out of China? Probably yeah, not. you, you got to, you know, what's the rule? You take it, you cut it in half, and that's probably the real number. <laughs> probably. <laughs> well, as we talked about in the previous podcast, we'll keep mentioning this until this is over, but we're in silly season, election season, and, and so now we have a lot of people prognosticating about what's going to happen to the market if uh, one candidate wins or the other. Uh, you know, it was for a long time, uh, Biden was ahead, and then up until about three weeks ago, then, then Trump was ahead in a couple of national polls. Popular, popular polls, which is unusual, uh, and because usually Republicans are behind in that. Then that terrible debate <laughs> took a lot of a lot of steam out of some of the polls, and so now, uh, although we're seeing the the wide lead is is dwindling again, right? As as we get closer and closer to the election, so I, I would say, you know, clearly we can't take this stuff too seriously. We talked about that in, this in the past. That either way, whoever wins, it depends on what policies that they get through. And even if a president has both houses of legislature, 
in in his his uh, his or her favor, I should say. We haven't had a woman president yet, but um, nonetheless, they still have to to get their bills through Congress. It took the Obama administration almost two years to get the Obamacare legislation through. Uh, so it doesn't happen right away. So so just the election itself isn't going to matter. But in the short run, we see all this kind of short-term baseball, you know, gaming it, right? So now the market seems to be rallying again, and it looks like that's saying Trump is is on the rise a little bit, right? It was selling off the other couple of weeks, and then Biden was on the rise. You know, who knows what that, any of that stuff means. And, and the, the guys on TV change their mind every other day anyway, so yep. I wouldn't worry too much about it. Um, and then, you know, just because a certain president were to get elected doesn't really mean the markets are going to be bad. During the Obama administration, we had the slowest post-war uh, presidency recovery of any presidency, and the market was up two and a half times during his eight years in, as president. So uh, there's a lot of things that can happen other than just the election of a particular president, right? Yep. So <clears throat> we see our more and more calls for gee, should I get out of the market? Should I raise cash and wait till this election is over? Well, if people did that in 2017, they would they would have been on, or 2016, they would not have been probably ready for what became the, the strongest two years that we've seen in, in, in decades right after the Trump, Trump election. So a lot of people were saying the market would decline and they were wrong. So we tend to follow what the markets are doing and do trend following. 85% of the time markets are going upward, 15% of the time, roughly, they're going downward, either mildly in a correction or sharply in some sort of a crash. And so we'll react to those crashes and we'll do protection. So we always talk about how we have rotation models and a protection plan. Uh, we executed that in, in February and March and April. Uh, as many of the folks listening to the podcast know that, we've done that five times in my career. Uh, so hopefully we don't have to do it again soon, but we'll do it again. So we'll just put it out there. The four-star clients already know this. Those who don't, we do have rotation models that will partially min minimize your risk on the downside. And that's really all you can do here. You know, mm -hmm. We don't want to make some power move and get out of the market. Just about the time you do that, the market goes up, right? So let's actually tell the, have, have the market tell stories. We'll read those stories and then decide what our moves are going to be. And that's how we play it. Yep. Yeah, right. I mean, it's, it's dangerous. Just a, a lot of people, I think, have been sitting on the sidelines, just like you said, Brian, in cash, just saying, oh, wait and see and wait and see. And, you know, while they've been waiting and seeing for the last couple of years, thinking that the market's eventually going to, you know, collapse. Yeah, it's it's definitely had a bit of a pullback, but it's definitely moved straight, straight upwards again as well. So um, kind of feeding off that once again, I think um, taking the flip side of that, uh, we've kind of seen the first warning sign i guess of the pandemic with the first kind of casualty possibly in zambia which is a, an african uh, country uh, they're actually the second biggest producer of copper and they kind of telegraphed this week that um, they are possibly going to default on their debt they have about three billion dollars worth of u.s uh, u.s bonds and they submitted a request to suspend payments on these bonds, mm -hmm. and which the bondholders have pretty much telegraphed they're going to reject that. So at this point, Zambia could go into default. Um, this isn't probably the first time we'll see that. One of this is just kind of a byproduct of this kind of pandemic, you want to say, sadly. Uh, but, you know, a lot of these emerging market countries uh, are commodities based. And if we do see a slowdown in the world, um, whether it be you know, travel or even just building, um, we could possibly see that show up 
and really have heavy impacts on some of these uh, more emerging market countries, which could then put them into default. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, from there. It relates directly to the so the signals that we're getting in the markets where the commodities have been selling off. We had a little run for certain commodities like like oil for a period of time, then it then it collapsed. Then we had a run for gold that collapsed as where it just just kind of died basically. Yep. Pulled back a little bit. So uh, a lot of the industrial metals are not working as well, and so countries like Zambia are in trouble. So all the commodity, pure commodity-based countries aren't doing as well. Canada, Australia, little countries like Zambia are gonna, just going to go BK. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's going to be tough. I mean, and there, there has been bright spots in the commodities. Um, building's been big, and we talked at length about that, which, you know, funny enough, copper does factor into building, but... Um, you know, I think the key with that is, is can they survive the two to three month lag that did happen going back to April? So, um, but yeah, and then on the home front here, what we're seeing is uh, Bank of America actually came out and um, they said that we've talked in the past about winners and losers and we talked in the beginning of the podcast. So Bank of America came and said um, that small cap companies are now trading at the biggest discount for lar- versus large cap companies in over two decades. That's um, true. So, true. you know, we, we talked in the beginning about the tech stocks, these big mega corporations that have just been, you mm-hmm. know, on a monster tariff, 30% roughly, less, like just ballparking the NASDAQ, S&P's about flat. You know, on the flip side of that, some of the small caps have not gotten as much love as they probably should have gotten over these last couple uh, months. So, you know, we're really seeing this big gap there. Um, And I think what that really shows though is that there is room to run. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty and I think the market when there is uncertainty really likes to go and favor these large caps because they're big, they're they're not going anywhere. Uh, But I think once some of this uncertainty starts to clear up over the next month, two months, uh, we're going to see some of these start to take off, and we could see the market that propel the market higher. Yeah, and you know we're really about even, folks, for the average stock with the S and P just back above normal. And now we've seen a huge rally, but don't forget that was after a thirty percent collapse, and a lot of people weren't watching that because they were busy hunkering down and and figuring out how to how to uh, isolate and everything else. And markets were crashing all during that time. Yep. So now we just this rally has just been to come back to even. So we're a little bit above water in the market, but not by much. So we're not really out at wild valuations. Um, they could certainly go a lot higher. The highest uh, general market valuation was in 1999 when the, when the S&P traded at 23 times earnings. We're at about 17 to 18 times earnings right around now. So it's not wildly overvalued by any stretch. But as Chris said, that small cap discount is quite high. Now, small cap companies would, would react more sharply to a, a downturn like we've gone through right now in the economy. But once the economy gets back on track for sure, and all the effects of COVID and the pandemic are released and the economy's stronger, usually small caps lead coming out of an economic collapse. So usually a couple of years, sometimes to the extent of 30, 40% in the indexes. Yep. And so there's some huge, huge gains in small caps. And with that wide of a discount between large and small stocks, there's some opportunity there. We're not saying it's going to turn tomorrow. We're not predicting it. And for the record, we're not positioning it yet in our portfolios. But there will be a time when we do, and we'll see it in the math. We'll see it show up. Small stocks will, will rally. Large stocks will relatively fade. And then we'll start to make a move into small stocks. And that's how we'll play it. Yep. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things kind of feeding off of that is, 
you know, feeding off of this recovery is their earnings. And actually, we just kind of went into Q. We're just getting Q3 earnings coming out now. Uh, the banks usually lead the way, so we're getting uh, the, some of the preliminary bank earnings. Um, Bank of America and Wells Fargo both reported uh, profit and earning falls um, or drops on both of them. So uh, we're seeing a little bit of the effects, um, which is to be expected. But on the flip side, and a big surprise is Goldman Sachs came out and they had an annualized return on equity of 17.5% mm-hmm. uh, for the third quarter, which is their largest or their highest quarterly return in, uh, in a decade. So um, one of the things is there's definitely going to be some winners and losers in this earnings. And there's definitely mm-hmm. going to be a lot of, um, you know, a lot of telegraphing, a lot of what we're trying to, you know, gauge as far as how well are these companies going to perform and how are they going to survive over the next possible six, seven, eight months. Mm-hmm. So uh, that'll be interesting. We're just starting to get into the Q3 earnings now. Um, I think that's going to go a long way into showing you know, how the market's going to do and which companies are going to be the, you know, some of the leaders out of this. So let's talk about the economy. We had an employment number that came out and we're announcing numbers in the 800,000s of employment claims during each each uh, release. And by way of uh, memory, in a normal economy, we're two to 300,000. There's always some unemployment claims, but so we're still way above that. But what was the number, Chris? It was 898. Uh, right. And the expectation was 836. So we're seeing some weakness in some of those economic numbers. So they're kind of a, the negative things are exceeding expectations and the positive things are, are failing from expectations a little bit here. So we're seeing the economy slow down. There's a lot of concern about the fact that the pandemic continues to go on and it's not a settled issue in the United States. And so companies aren't investing. People aren't going back to the office. A lot of companies are saying they're not going back to their offices till next year now. Mm-hmm. Right. So that may slow things down a little bit. And that could forestall some of the growth in the in the markets for a while. Hard to tell. Yeah, we, we've really seen if you look at a chart of the unemployment claims, I mean, it was a massive. I don't know if you guys rewind back to March or April when it was like one point four million. It was like. This this ridiculous number that was just out of way out there, and you know now we're kind of seeing them. We've almost seen it really drop down, and it's been in this eight to nine hundred thousand mark, uh, roughly around there for the last couple months now. And you know maybe that is gonna be what full employment is for the COVID period until right. we get a release uh, from some of the restrictions before we till we get that. This may just be where we're gonna be hovering around. Uh, just because, like you said, no one's going to be hiring. There's a lot of unknowns there, and there's a lot of uh, businesses that went under. So, and they can't—they're not going to open a new business in the middle of the restrictions and everything. So, True. until we have this this kind of release and the restrictions and all this lifted, uh, this may just be, you know, kind of the area we're going to be around. Now that said, you know, we were over 10% unemployment right away. You know, in April, we're only at 7.9% unemployment. And we did we did come from a level of three and a half percent unemployment, which was uh, one of the best ever, yeah. right? One of the lowest ever. So it used to be that five percent unemployment was considered to be quote unquote full employment. We got below five, so America was really on a tear there for a period of time. It was similar conditions in the mid '90s, and then here just recently, up until up until March. But so we're still seven point nine percent unemployment. And we haven't seen a lot of people leave the labor force, so it's not as bad as it could be. I'll tell you. I'll tell you that. Sure. Um, but the the pandemic effect is still very much on. And the Wall Street Journal reports that most of Europe and the U.S. states are reluctant to lock down again, 
We've seen some restrictions come on. We've also seen some courts now overrule governors, like in Michigan. We've seen other states completely open up. So we're seeing kind of a mix of activity. Uh, the, the World Health Organization says, they didn't say this too loudly, but they said they've always favored less drastic measures than lockdowns. Well, apparently America didn't listen to that too well because we locked everything down, or in most states we did. And so now um, they've come out again and said, we think lockdowns are a mistake. They're getting to the point of saying the cure is worse than the disease. Just on, on uh, Tuesday, uh, they, uh, the head scientist for the WHO came out and said that. So with hopefully with pressure from on the states in the European, um, the states in Europe and the U.S., uh, we'll have less drastic measures to get COVID better, and the economy will then be better as well. I know in downtown Chicago, our office is generally full with our people, but a lot of offices are not. Uh, so, you know, we'll hope people come back to the cities and fill the restaurants and that kind of thing. Uh, so um, we'll see where that goes. The only other fear that I wanted to mention is, is if we don't settle things by February, there are a lot of foreclosures coming. There's been a moratorium on foreclosures in real estate. So uh, the biggest wave of foreclosures be will begin in February, and that's when banks are basically released to do that. So we'll see if things start to pick up by then and what kind of an impact that will be. That's one of the problems with the economy is there's so many moving parts. And anyone who is absolutely certain about how it's going to work can't possibly predict it. So we just watch. And now we don't own economies. We don't own unemployment numbers. We own stocks and bonds and investments. So we have to decide what are we going to do with our investments. And the economy may be good. It may not be good. But our, we have to decide what we're going to own. So that's, we have a methodology to do that. And sometimes, as we talked about, sometimes the markets and the economies dislocate from each other to a degree. Though the economy could be stagnant, um, just like Brian said, during kind of the Obama era presidency, the economics, base economics, weren't you know exploding. They were kind of steadily moving upwards a little bit, um, but the markets were doing very well. So you mm -hmm. know, just because one is doing something doesn't necessarily mean the other one's going to be you know having a major pullback or a collapse or anything like that. Um, so, you know, I think that's where the trend following that we do is imperative because, you know, you can make predictions, as much predictions as you want about the economics, but sometimes one plus one doesn't equal two in the markets. Yes. Well, in the, in the what we see out there segment, just kind of general discussions about what's going on. So we're starting to see some players make their move. Uh, big announcement in the uh, Wall Street Journal Southwest Airlines, which generally was known as a as a discount airline was, not anymore, yeah. if you try to, unless you get some unique thing, uh, Southwest is not really cheap anymore, um, and they don't have as many services as United and American, so, but somehow they've been able to make it through the pandemic better. So they're actually going to move into O'Hare Airport in Chicago and uh, Intercontinental Airport in Houston or George H.W. Bush Airport. Those are big-time airports they were never in. They were in the Houston Hobby or Chicago Midway. That's going to keep happening. So there are going to be winners and losers in this environment. So the losers right now are the big airlines because they're so heavily debt-laden and they're having a hard time surviving. They're laying off people here this month. So Southwest is making their move to... To take market share from them so interesting how that's playing out yeah and that's you know southwest i think is one of the more interesting uh models too because with a lot of the other airlines you have them uh really trying to strip down to all these 
different tier classes and you know mm-hmm. where you can cancel you get to pick your seat some you don't get to pick your seat whereas southwest is really streamlined it they do have i think a, like three different kind of i guess tiers i guess but you get free two uh, free uh, check bags which i think is a big draw with some people families especially so i don't think they are the discount anymore but i think people just kind of like that hey i'm gonna pay this and i'm not gonna have to worry about anything so they seem to have done a little bit better um you know we'll, we'll they kept a lot of loyalty among the public although they're not really a business airline so business people don't like to fly them as much but yeah um, well and that's helped probably during this right because yep, not there sure. hasn't been as much business travel during no. during covid so that's helped help them a little dozens bit. of business friends of mine haven't moved, traveled since March. Exactly. So, and, and Southwest is always, it's one of the bright spots and they've always had good reviews and, and good um, uh, loyalty, I should say. Yeah. So uh, that's definitely helped them in the short term. So there's a dynamic f- feature to the U.S. economy, which is one of the reasons why it's one of the top performing, the top performing economy in the world. And even now we're the top performing economy in the world. So the restaurant industry we talked about has been decimated. The irony is that the fast food restaurant has been fabulous. And in fact, fast food stocks in the consumer discretionary sector are in our portfolio models, and we own shares in different different uh, fast food companies. But the main restaurant industry, uh, and the, the general restaurants in your town, White Tablecloth, all the other restaurants have been decimated here, right? 100,000 restaurants in America have gone bankrupt to never open up again. Uh, just anecdotally, there's a small story on the west side of Chicago in a, in a really burgeoning growing area, the West Fulton Market area where McDonald's headquarters is now and a lot of Google's Midwest headquarters is. There was a restaurant that opened three years ago with great fanfare called City Mouse. And it's in the Ace Hotel, which is basically the hotel controlled by Google. And so City Mouse finally announced that they're going to go out of business and they're not going to reopen. But Alinea, which is the number one restaurant in Chicago, is now going to be going right in there. So I talked to an industry consultant who I'm hopefully going to get on to a podcast to talk about the churn that's going on in the restaurant industry. Restaurants go out, restaurants start up. Alinea is going to take advantage of that and get that premium space right in the West Fulton market where City Mouse, unfortunately, is going to go out of business, right? Yeah, and then that's that's just a reality. I mean, even in a non-COVID world, restaurants, there's a lot of turnover in the restaurant world. I mean, you see that, especially in a big city like Chicago, Mm -hmm. you see a lot of restaurants come and go. So uh, that's obviously probably going to be exacerbated by the the pandemic. But, you know, I think once this ends, once you get, there's going to be a flood of people back into the city once it's over. And I think there's going to be a lot of that wanting to have those restaurants. And and it's going to be interesting. There's going to be a lot of new restaurants in Chicago in a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, so that's the that's the exciting part of it because things will change and things will get better. And so, whenever things are bad, the good news is that things will get better. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so it's always a silver lining, I guess, if you can think about it. Uh, another really kind of interesting thing: uh, Mellencrod, one of the big drug manufacturers, now is the third major drug manufacturer to file bankruptcy from opioid coverage, and that's um, was getting better in America. Up until uh, COVID, it's gotten worse now, obviously, as a lot of people are out of work. And and uh, I spent uh, a couple of weeks in West Virginia at the new summit base of the Boy Scouts of America, where we hosted the World Scout Jamboree. And it was an amazing event in the mountains of West Virginia. But then we would leave the base and go to the towns and see opioid 
uh, addicts just kind of trolling the parks and things like that. It was really, really bad. So anyway, um, you know, there's a lot of liability there. And Mallinckrodt's the third company to go out based on that. So uh, that's a big problem, one that I know the president is trying to solve. And if he's president, I'm sure he'll work on it further. And I'm sure the new president would do the same thing because that's ripping the heart out of a big part of America. Uh, so anyway, um, but there's good things to come. Uh, we're very optimistic about where America will go from here. Uh, we may have a little soft patch as we kind of work out, you know, what's going on with the economy and what's going on with lockdowns or no lockdowns. And, you know, but eventually things are getting better. If you look at that, that pandemic cases, the spikes were way, way up. Uh, you know, it's been four or five months since we've seen spikes like that, maybe a little resurgence. So now it's time to get the economy going. And we think 2021 will be a great year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the, the key is let's just move forward. Let's continue pushing forward. And, you know, hopefully hopefully things uh, start to turn up sooner rather than later. Absolutely. Well, and on one housekeeping item for all of our investors out there, those who were with us and those who weren't, just a reminder that this is the fourth quarter when people do uh, required minimum distributions from pension and IRAs. And you don't have to do that this year as a covid uh, part of the CARES Act, where we don't have to do, I believe it was in the CARES Act, where we don't have to do RMDs this year. And there's a lot of little last-minute uh, moves that can be made in portfolios in the fourth quarter. So uh, we're happy to help folks with those items if they would like that help. Uh, so let us know. Uh, and feel free to call our office. Uh, call me personally, and we'll set you up with a great financial advisor here at Four Star. So uh, that's all I, th- all I have today, Chris. How about you? I think that covers it. All right. I think we're done. So... Thanks, everybody, for being with us again. And let me just say that uh, don't forget to um, you know, you know, give us a five out of five. Tell your friends about uh, the Four Star Podcast. Uh, we've been heard now on six continents. Uh, we're looking for the seventh, uh, Antarctica. We're still, still working on Antarctica. We've got a couple of volunteers to go down there. Uh, and, and then we can say we were listened to on Antarctica. But nonetheless, uh, for our whole corporate staff, Chris uh, here with me, Laura Swanson, Chris Wannenberg here in Chicago, and then also uh, Tucker, Brian, and Karen out on the East Coast. We thank you all for being with us, and we wish you a good week. We'll be back hopefully next week with another podcast and some very interesting interviews uh, coming up as well with some really, really interesting characters about the restaurant industry, other portfolio strategists. So uh, that's it for the Four Star Podcast for today.